So I'm going to read uh, from 1 John chapter 4 and um, a series that we've t- I've titled uh, God is Love. Uh, uh, God is Love, covering these uh, ex- number of verses from verses 7 to um, 21 on the subject of, of God uh, being love. So if you turn with me to 1 John and chapter 4, I'm going to read from verse 7 and through to uh, 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us and his love is perfected in us. This ha- This is how we know that we dwell in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. We have seen and do testify that the father sent the son to be the savior of the world. Whoever shall confess that Jesus is the son of God, God dwells in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has to us. God is love and he has dwelt in love and he that dwells in love dwells in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he that loves not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that we who love God should love our brother also. Amen. So I'm going to start a series on um, God is love. I've um, called the series uh, covering those verses, First John 4. Uh, verse 7 through to about 21, the end of chapter 4. I've called that se- the series God is Love because I'm suggesting that it's the central proposition. At least it's the controlling thought in, um, it's the controlling thought in, in, in John's mind in this section. It's the, it's, the, it's the reality, it's the truth that controls all that John is then going to go on to say to um, the Christian's he is writing to his, uh, and and what, what's going to happen over the coming weeks as we cover the series is we're going to do essentially what John does, which is to um, explore this theology of this theological statement, if you want, God is love, and then the implications. You know, it's 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 typical of the emphasis of this uh, of of the book of John of this of the of the first first epistle of John which is um, 
that God that John makes it clear that theology and practice must 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 go hand in hand. Um, uh, right belief will will produce uh, right living, and um, uh, that's what John always wants to do: is ground the practices, the actions of believers in the right thinking. And the thought here is God is love. In fact, it's something akin to God is love and so what, right? If God is love, what are the implications? And John answers that by saying, if God is love, then believers must be loving, right? We must live in love. Love must be um, a mark of conversion, that someone is a Christian. Evidence that someone is a Christian must be that they live a life of love. Now, that being the case, um, what we're going to cover over these coming weeks then is that central assertion that God is love uh, and see what that, me- what that means from a theological standpoint, that God is love. Um, and then also, help. John is going to help us think through how, um, how, how love is central to the Christian faith and, and what love means um, uh, for the Christian faith, we, 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 we rightly place Paul's ode to love in 1 Corinthians 13 in a crucial place for understanding what love means. But, you know, John's ode to love, especially in chapter four, but even in his entire book, uh, is, 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 not, is, not, is, nowhere, is not far behind at all. It's, it's right there with Paul as being of vital importance to the Christian for understanding this calling to love. And again, this is reflective of something that is that John has emphasized already, um, if you if you're familiar with the Epistle of John, uh, which is John in John's mind, you cannot overestimate the importance of love to genuine Christianity. Um, J- John is, is is confident to say, if you ask someone what makes someone a Christian, he's confident to say that person loves or lives a life of love. He's confident enough to say that, um, and so. This is a series that I hope will provide us with some correctives. First of all, reminding us, reaffirming to us the importance of love to faith, right? Christians, we, we, for whatever reason, we can, we can almost begin to undermine the importance of love. It, sometimes it's in a reaction. It's in reaction to a kind of exaggeration, we think, of the importance that is placed on love, or at least a misunderstanding, a distorting of what love means. This will provide a corrective for that. But we cannot overestimate the importance of what Paul calls the bond of perfectness, right? The, the, the consummate mark of maturity is, is love. Um, and so this will remind us of that. And as Christians, allow us to reassess and realign ourselves and make sure that we place love in the right place. As, you, as I've said in, in past weeks, preaching through the book of First John, John is concerned to explain, and at least in this chapter, in this epistle, that he the the necessity is laid upon him to affirm the composite, if you want, character of faith. That what faith looks like, and Paul makes it clear: faith is about what you believe about Jesus, and also how you live for Jesus. It's it's faith and life. You can't separate in Paul's in John's mind, sorry, this theology and practice. And at the heart of what John calls Christian practice, at the heart of what calls Paul, um, John calls Christian confession, is the death is is the person of Jesus Christ. At the heart of what John will call Christian practice is love, a life of love. And so um, it will provide that corrective in reminding us the centrality of love. But it will also provide a corrective in making sure that we don't distort the Christian view of love. When when, when John talks about love, 
he has a particular understanding of, of love, an understanding that makes love unique to the Christian perspective, or at least from the Christian perspective. So when we say love in the Christian faith, this is not a purely sentimental thing. It's not an abstraction from its theological center. This is, it's a theological idea. There's a lot of theology uh, around this. Okay. Uh, so Christian love is both theological and practical, or if you want, Christian love is theology in practice, right? And, and, and so looking at this series will help us to remember that a theology of love, understanding what love truly is so that we know if we are walking in love truly. Now, um, why does John bring up the subject of love here? This is interesting because we know that um, John has John has spoken about love a few times already in his epistle. Again, people often refer to this as the epistle of love, or they refer to John as the apostle of love. Why does John bring up love here? Um, well, it's just a to be fair, it's a, it's a further elaborating, it's a further reaffirming of the doctrine of love. It reminds us of the crucial importance that John places on the subject of love. But in this in in this chapter here, the unique thing about what John does, so he's spoken about love previously at points in the epistle. What is unique about what John does in this particular section is the way he grounds the command to love, the calling for Christians to love. So the beloved, let us love, let us love one another. That, that that exhortation, he grounds it in the nature of God. He grounds it in God himself. So that what we come to, to see here is the explanation, if you want, of the origin of love, right? And, and that's what I'm calling the sermon, at least this morning, is um, the first in our series is looking at what John tells us is the origin of love. Uh, reminding ourselves that love originates in God, and that's why um, it is the nature of those who have now originated in him, those who are reborn, reborn in, in the Lord, right? Um, and so that's the uniqueness about John emphasizing love in this section, is it begins to tease out, if you want, the source of love, how the believer is empowered to love, why the believer should love. Uh, one more thing just to say about the context before we look at verses 7 and 8 this morning is to do with um, why it's what why it's placed here in the immediate context so if you remember last week i preached on um testing the spirits and so that was a sermon about discernment and christians needing to discern being able to discern what is true if you want almost propositionally uh, what is true confessionally their beliefs about the faith you need to know what we believe we need to know that not every jesus is jesus and um uh, not everyone that calls God is calling the God of the Bible. We need to be able to discern and we need to be able to reject. And that's what we're speaking about. So how does this align with, 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 the con with, with this next section, which deals with love? Um, I think essentially, uh, after speaking about the need to test the spirits, John picks up love here again, and he's reasserting what, genuine, what the genuine Christian message entails. Okay, so I've told you to test for false spirits. Be ready to reject falsehood, uh, which, which works in false prophets. But let me affirm the, what the true message of God will entail. Reject false spirits, affirm the spirit, right? So um, this is what 
spirit-inspired doctrine, if you want, looks like. This is what spirit-filled teaching looks like. It looks like calling you to love, right? Uh, these false teachers will probably, other, the false teachers will be calling you to other things. They're calling you to another Jesus. They'll call you to satisfy your lust, satisfy your, your own desires. Teaching that is empower, empowered by the spirit will call you to a life of powerful loving in the grace of Jesus Christ. Another, maybe another probable reason, this is, a, this is a suggestion that I found in a commentary, which I'm not all the way convinced of myself, but it's a helpful, um, helpful observation anyhow, that perhaps John speaks about love here because he's just spoken about the need for discernment. So John has just told these Christians, listen, as Christians, you have to discern, you have to be able to discern. You have to be capable to say, that's not true, that's false. It's, it's vital to your faith. However, discernment, which involves a lot of knowledge, has a way of puffing people up. It has a way of making people prideful. That's what Paul says, in fact, at least about knowledge in 1 Corinthians 8. And maybe John here is concerned to make sure there's a balance. Yes, Christians are to be involved in discernment and um, analyzing the truth and understanding the truth and deciphering and rejecting what is false but it must be done with love. And, you know, even if that's not the immediate concern of John's in this context, it's such a useful uh, word of advice for believers today, is it not? I mean, very often, nowhere is love as badly demonstrated as it is amongst Christians who possess discernment. Christians who think they have the truth, have a tendency to be sometimes the most unloving, you know, and uh, what Christians, sometimes we show our colors uh, and we, we show a terrible side to us, perhaps very often when we're engaged in the battle for truth, you know, and um, we must remember that even though it is right for us to discern truth, even though it is right for us to, um, to reject falsehood, it must be done in love with the spirit of love. Um, and even the greatest Christian, I think of someone like Martin Luther. Martin Luther was an amazing, uh, amazing theologian, amazing Christian man. But sometimes the way Luther would address his enemies, if you want, or his, the guys he opposed, fell, certainly fell short, you would think, of the calling for Christian love. And then today, you know, a considerable amount of theologians who are far from being Luther and who wield most of their theological um, work on the internet, on Twitter, can be the most unloving, most lacking so much patience, lacking so much gentleness. Um, um, I, was, I was looking at the um, Gospel Coalition. Some of you know what the Gospel Coalition is, an organization that has done so much great work for the gospel. And I was looking at uh, just a series of tweets they posted. And you can look at a tweet by the Gospel Coalition and the, um, the, the diatribe I mean, our friends across the pond in America are something else. But the amount of the, the insults, the disrespect from fellow Christians, because it's not like unbelievers are really checking for, um, for the gospel coalition like that, from folks who call themselves Christians, from professing believers, going against, even from ministers, you know, just unlovingly treating fellow Christians because we disagree in what are... Uh, um, Secondary issues. It's, it's very unfortunate. 
Um, and so maybe that's the reason why this warning comes, because when it comes to discernment, we have to be reminded to do it in love, regardless of who we're responding to talk. Even if you're talking to SPAC, you have to do that with love. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You have to, even if you're addressing that sort of disgraceful scenario, you, you need to find a way to do it with love, with respect, and so on and so forth, um, even though you can speak forthrightly. And so maybe this is why this is a helpful, um, helpful thing to say at this point. But anyway, John is going to go on to instruct these believers to love. And this morning, we look at, we'll look at you at first, verses 7 to 8, and consider that not just in these verses, but for, 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 a, lot of the section, for a lot of the verses in, in this section, John speaks about how God is love, the origin of love. Where does the love that believers are called to originate? And so uh, I'll do two things. I will start by exploring that statement, that the statement that John makes in verse 8, a statement you're all too uh, familiar with, and one of the most profoundest in, in, um, in the entirety of the scriptures because of how he tells us about who our God is. God is love is what John says. God is love. I'll explore that statement because I think it's, it's what controls everything else that John does in this chapter. But not only is God love, there are implications. So I'll do that. I, I will say God, I'll speak about what it means that God is love and love originates from God and then address two implications uh, that John um, that, that, that John comes to. Uh, one, one implication is another statement um, um, and another, another, an, an, another implication is, is the commandment of verse 7. The commandment in verse 7, let us love one another, is a result, more than an implication, of course, but it's an implication of what that statement in verse, in verse 8, God is love. So, uh, we addressed that, that statement and that controlling statement, God is love, and we set our stall out, and then we'll address, and then I'll look at two implications from that and close with a few applications. So, John tells us, God is love. One of the most crucial insights into the nature of God that we get in get from Scripture, that we get in the Scriptures, are from John's lips here. When he says, God is love, it just tells us something about God's nature. Um, he is love. He doesn't simply say he is loving. He says, God is love. Similar terminology is used by the Apostle John. Um, and, 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 and in fact, John probably um, is one of the only, almost the only apostle, almost the only um, New Testament author to speak about God in this way uh, and, and to uh, and to speak of God's essential nature, right, as being defined by one of these attributes. God is a light. He's told us earlier in um, in in his epistle, or, or or he says in his gospel, God is spirit. Right, Jesus Christ said to the woman at Samaria, and now he tells us, God is love. This is who God is, succinct yet profound, right? Um, our problem, of course, is very too often we reckon with the succinctness of that statement. It's a nice, short, terse, easily digestible phrase. God is love. But perhaps 
nothing more profound has been recorded in the pages of scripture. And so, yes, it's succinct, but it's far from easy or simplistic. It's profound. This is a subject of eternal proportions. <laughs> this is a, an eternal semester uh, in theology. This subject is worth, of, is worth. God is love. Right? This is, learn from, learn, learn that God's nature is love. In fact, then, there is no such thing as love outside of God. His nature is love, so that love only exists because God exists and has revealed himself to the world. So that it was of necessity that once God decided to reveal himself, he would reveal himself in love, whether it was in creation, whether, it, whether it's in providence and how he keeps the world going today, or even crucially in redemption. There was inevitably going to be a revelation of love because God is love, has always been, always will be. This is a statement of the greatness of God. God is love. There has never been a display of love. Whatever it is, never been a display of genuine love, genuine affection, uh, deep, passionate love, altruistic, humble, selfless, kind, warm, gracious, forgiving, patient love that did not ultimately find its root or does not ultimately find its root, its starting point in God. God is the source of all love. God is love, says John. And that's a, a great statement. It's an amazing thing to say. It's a profound thing to say. Now, now, now if God is love, and we know that the, the Judeo-Christian view of Godhood that John has, the Apostle John here, is one that recognizes that God is a person. God has personality. God is not just uh, is not an abstraction. He's not ideas. He's not feelings. So John is saying God is love. He's not saying love is God. So it wouldn't be consistent. It's not consistent with John's theology, for example, to say or to suggest that, oh, if, if, if God is love, that means whenever we display love, we have God. You know, people say, oh, I'm not really into faith or religion. I just try and love people. And in a moment, we'll see why that's, that's, that's problematic. But I just try and love people. And by love, I believe God, you know, if we love God, he said, no, that's, God is a person. God, God is personality. God is, is, is uh, your, your actions of love are not God, right? If the, the, the view that John has, and it clearly is, of God is one that says, actually, God is a person and God is eternal. How is God then capable of love? How, how can God be called love if God is eternal and he's a person? Here's the quandary I'm, I'm, I'm trying to place before you. If God is eternal, which means he's outside of, cre of creation, and so there was a time when there was a time when creation did not exist, hence why the Bible says in the beginning God created. There was a time when creation did not exist. But God exists outside of creation. When God, is, when God is existing and we begin to think of God existing outside of creation, how is he capable of love? If 
for love to exist, there has to be a lover. Who does God love? If we say, for example, it's creation that God loves, that means there was a time when God wasn't capable of love. Who is God loving? So that John can use what is clearly an other-orientated phrase, right? That, that is, John knows that when we speak about love, we speak about the selflessness, selfless acts that we communicate to other people, to others. When John is speaking about love, he's speaking about what we do to someone else. And so if God is love, John is saying God has always been not only capable, God has always been loving someone else. And the question we're asking is, how is that possible if there was a time when God existed outside creation? You see, for some of us, that question is either very obvious, somewhat confusing, or concerning. It's obvious if you already know what the answer is, you're like, oh, that's obvious because this truth is, is permeates all of the Bible. Now, if you're a Christian, I want to suggest that, yes, this is certainly an obvious question for you. It's an obvious question uh, if you're a Christian because you live in the reality of what I'm about to say. It's either, it's either uh, obvious or it's confusing. It's confusing if Perhaps you, you don't know what the answer is. Like, oh, that's, that's, a, that's a question. That's a question. I, I've never really thought of it that way. Or it's concerning. If you think to yourself, oh, I thought God was loving because he loved his creation. I thought we're the ones who made God loving. I thought for God to be loving it was for him to love his creation. And now we begin to say, oh, okay, so what does this mean? Who, how, how do we explain this? Well, the answer, the, the answer is, as I say, is, is if we read the scriptures, it's certainly obvious. And the answer is the Trinity. And this is a time for me to plug our Tuesday Bible study, where we'll be looking actually more closely at something I can't explore uh, very vastly here. But we'll be looking more closely at the, the uh, intra-Trinitarian relationship, the relationship between the persons of the Godhead um, and how love, especially how the love... Uh, the, the, the eternal love of the Father for the Son and the Son for the Father, and what the scriptures say about that in John's gospel. Now, but that being said, this is a God who was loving before he ever created. How come? Because God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So eternally, God has been loving who? His Son. And our Lord Jesus Christ himself is the one that makes this clear to us. We could read quite a few references from the book of John, but I'm going to just read one. Um, it's the words of our Lord Jesus Christ in his, what we call the high priestly prayer um, of John and chapter 17. And, 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 and the awareness our Lord Jesus Christ has of the eternal love that exists between him and the Father, um, even as he speaks uh, in his incarnation. Let me read John 17 and 23, where the um, our Lord Jesus says, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I will that they also, that they who you have given me will be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. Can you see there? That's our Lord Jesus Christ affirming that God was 
not only capable of, but God was experiencing and giving love before there was ever a creation. So God doesn't start to be loving because of how he treats his creatures. How he treats his creatures is a display of what is already eternally present in him. It's a display of his eternal character. That's why John can say God is love because there was never a time when God was lacking love or lonely or not pouring out the fullness of his love. God so loved the world, right? Before God made anything, before the mountains were brought forth, before God formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, he's the eternal God who lived in the eternal satisfaction of his love. He's, he's not needy. Um, I, sometimes I, I, preach, I, I preach this even at weddings. I say to, to married couples, I say, listen, one of the things when, when you come to marry, one of the things that you need to remember is you, you want to find your whole, you want to be whole people before you come together. You know, don't come thinking that the other person is going to complete you. Um, is is going to provide, uh, is going to fill fill your emptiness. You you want to be whole in the Lord. I say to Christian couples, and very often the cause of of broken marriages is is just that that folks come into marriage and they're not already whole in the Lord. They're not they're not already they're not satisfied in the love of Jesus Christ. And so when their partner is not satisfying their needs because they said their pastor is, their partner is a sinner, when their spouse is 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 not is 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 doing just what sinners do, and they're not they're not showing the grace, and they're not showing the the patience that they would desire. All of a sudden, because you're seeking completeness in this person, you start feeling incomplete, and so you don't you, you're not able to, to to be patient with them and to wait for them to change you. you. Them not changing is taking away from who you are, and 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 so folks walk down the path of divorce and so on. And I say to folks, go into marriage complete. Be one person. You know, we often say the 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 the, 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 the marriage mathematical equation is like one plus one equals one, right? Some people go into marriage and it's half plus half, trying to make the one. No, we're meant to be whole people. And God is like that. God is not depending on us to experience love. He's already whole. He He, he loves us not from a needy perspective. That's why we can be sure that His love will never fade. Because it's not dependent on us. If God's love was dependent on us, well, how could we have any confidence in it? Because we fail him so often. No, God is God is the eternal giver. He's always been giving love. And when God saves us and calls us to know him, what he calls us to do is to know and to experience this fullness of God. Sorry, this fullness of love that is already contained in God because the one God is three persons and he enjoys the fellowship of triunity. Let me let me put it like this to make things a bit clearer. The God of Islam, Allah, he's not capable of this because Allah is, is he's a lonely uh, he's a lonely monad. He's been he was in eternity before creation. He's kind of been in eternity by himself. No one to to extend love to. It's telling actually in how Islam then begins to address its followers and how God is not really referred to as father in the Quran or whatever, because he's never been capable of that sort of demonstration of love. Our God has eternally been a God who loves the son and calls us to enter into that fullness of love. God is love. Let me 
quickly, though, address some misunderstandings from that statement and clear them away and deal with them. Firstly, it should be evident from this that God is love does not mean that love is God, as I hinted at earlier. Right? Um, John's thought here is not so much to say that to know uh, God, you must know love. As he is saying, to know love, you must know God. Okay, he's not so much saying that to know God, you must know love. As he's saying, to know love, you must know God. Love is not God. God is love. And so to understand what true love is, we have to know who God is. This is why John says that whoever loves knows God. If you live a life of, uh, the Christian loves because the Christian knows who God really is. We have known God. And so to know God is to know love. Until we know God and God's love is demonstrated. Even as in eternity past, the father was always revealing himself to the son. Even in creation, the love of God is revealed through the son again. And of course, ultimately in his death and resurrection, the love of God is revealed. But to know love, we must know the true, the, tr the true and living God. So again, none of this stuff that people try and say today, and 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 think they, we think we're in close relationships with God because we, we we do acts of love. That will not that that will not do. So the second misunderstanding to clear up is that the assertion that God is love is not a denial of God's other attributes. That that may or may not be in our minds conflicting, right? So when we say God is love, we're not saying that that means God is not holy. We're not saying that means God is not light. We're not saying that means God is not just. No, far from the case. He's all these things. God is love, but God is also holy. God is love, but he's also just. And we must, we must remember that. You know, the same God of whom John says God is, is love is the same God of whom John says God is light. And so God is loving, but he's also just. He's, he's also holy, and we must not break these things apart. And it, it's not even true that these things can't be married. It's, it's probably, it's more likely the, the sinister desire of, of men and women who, who want to abuse the grace of God, um, who know that, actually, if God is just and God is holy, it does remind us that we have sinned. That, that makes us suggest that these things are somehow in conflict. Um, how many of us really are opposed to someone who hates that which is evil and so is just? How many of us really see someone who is fair in how they handle things and we say, oh, you can't be loving? No, sometimes it's the most loving thing to do. Right. I was thinking of uh, think of the, the recent scandal in just Hollywood and just uh, and just a, lo a lot of areas in life. Anyhow, with, that the Me Too movement has has uh, has has revealed. And, you know, what, what, what often happens sometimes is you would see uh, a recounting of, you know, the, the abuse that women suffered you know, years ago in, 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 in say, in Hollywood or saying, in, in the world of sports or even in government, and they, they would tell the stories. Let's say it was it was a it, let's say it was in a movie set, for example, and a woman saying, "Listen, I was abused on a movie set." And you know what people often did? People would the, the, the whoever it was, the, the, whoever the celebrity was, perhaps who um, who 
committed this abuse, people would, 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 yeah, they would, that person would get the rebuke, they would get their slander, slander. But not just them. People would also think, who else was in, who, who was there? What celebrities were around that time? And if you knew of, say, another celebrity who, he knew the celebrity who committed abuse, he, he didn't commit the abuse himself, he just knew the celebrity. He just never spoke up. You, you, your, your view of them also, your estimation of them also dropped. You thought to yourself, when all of this stuff was going to going down in Hollywood, for example, where were you? Why, why didn't you speak up? Why is it just now on a Twitter age that you're saying something? Their, their, their lack of passion and desire for justice told you there was a kind of insincerity about them. Told you they, 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 they couldn't convince you they loved the people who were going through that at the time, even though now they try and they might try and I'm so sorry now. You think, no, 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 I don't believe you. I don't believe your compassion because where was it then? Right? When you didn't stand up for just justice. How could God be loving if he wasn't a God who was just? How could God be loving if he wasn't a God who was righteous and holy? These things are not incompatible. In fact, they 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 they, they, they join together in beautiful harmony. And nowhere do we see this like the display of the cross, of, of, of God's justice and love on the cross. One of the things that convinces believers so much about God's love is the way the, 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 the death of Jesus Christ satisfies God's justice. Justice and mercy kiss, as it were, and they're in beautiful harmony. So we, we should not allow the assertion God is love to somehow downplay the reality that God is also just. And what that looks like, for example, in practice, especially in Christian ministry, um, it's sometimes just a shame to preach, being ashamed of the gospel. You know, and if we're ashamed of Jesus, he'll be ashamed of us. Just folks are hesitant to preach the reality of sin and hesitant to preach about judgment, hesitant to preach about sin, as if some kind of purely sentimental acknowledgement of God's love is sufficient to, to, um, to draw sinners to see their need for him. Right? We become ashamed of the gospel because we, 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 because we want to, just kind of posit this idea that God is love, and apparently it's, it's so out of step to, to say that God is also just. Um, and even sometimes in what, what's often called a, uh, antinomianism. Antinomianism is, is basically suggestions that we can, we can follow the Lord but not obey his commandments. We can, we can call ourselves Christians but not worry about our sin. And, you know, you, you get people who say, you know, um, God's grace and God's love covers all your sins, so it doesn't matter how you live. This is not true, right? Whatever we, we want to say about the grace of God, that's not certainly not how to present it. And, and if we sit under ministry where all we say is God is love and we, 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 try, we take it out of its context, we, we wrench, it out of its biblical, wrench it out of its biblical context, which includes the fact that God is just and God is holy, then we end up with that kind of ministry that tells Christians that they can just live as they please and... Um, tells Christians that there's nothing to obey. When Jesus Christ said that one of the marks of the depth of relationship between him and the Father was that he obeyed the will of the Father, that obedience was actually evidence of love, of the love that existed. So we, we have to be careful to place this statement in its right context. But that being said, there is a far more positive affirmation here by John. God is love, and that must control all of our life. That must control how we understand life. That must control our theology. God is love. And people should be able to see that in us. And there's two implications here. I'm going to draw them quickly. 
because we'll, we'll, we'll explore them for the rest of the series. If God is love, then the evidence that we are the children of God is love. Love is the evidence that we are the children of God. John says, beloved, we should love one another because love is from God. And those who love are born of God and know God. They're God's children. Essentially, what John says is the mark, the evidence, the proof that someone is God's child, that God has translated them from darkness to light. As John says in his gospel, that God has given them the authority, the privilege of being his children. Those who believe that Jesus died and rose again, the evidence is that they become loving themselves. This is a like father, like son issue. That when you see the father, you know the son. When you see the son, you know the father. Born of God. You see how serious this is? Whose children are we? Are we God's children? If we're God's children, John says, inevitably, we will live lives of love. Our lives will be controlled by a desire to love others because our, that's, how, that's the nature we've received. I think one thing, one, one thing, one reason why for John, this is um, such a necessary corollary, if you want. Why, why this, it, it goes hand in hand. Why the statement God is love goes hand in hand with Christians then becoming loving themselves or being people, uh, pe people who love themselves is because when we believe in God through Jesus Christ, faith involves, if you want, a sharing in the nature of God. Uh, to use the Apostle Peter's words, when we believe the gospel, God has called us to be partakers of the divine nature. So by the Holy Spirit in our hearts, we're truly being more like God. What is it to be godlike in this world? Is to live a life of love. Is to is for your hearts to heart to be to 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 radiate with love towards your neighbor. That's an interesting thing. I, we live in a day where very very often, at least certainly in the uh, among, among certain sections of um, of the entertainment entertainment world, especially in hip hop music, for example, hip hop artists use uh, the idea of. Of course, they call themselves gods. They refer to themselves as God. There's this longing to, there's this longing for divinity. You know, they say, you know, peace, God, and hello. They call themselves God, and it's, it's, it's foolish because obviously you call yourself God, but you're dying like men, you know? And there's a search for divinity, search for divinity. And, here, and, and actually, here is real godhood in the scriptures. Here is what it's like to be like God. Not not in the kind of not not in the kind of foolish sense that thinks we can compete with the the Creator so that we deserve the title God, but to share in God's nature is to love others. Later on, in verse twelve, John says, "If we love one another, we know that God is with us. God is dwelling with us." You see, friends, um, I used to sing when I was growing up. We used to sing a song in church. It was in it was in Yoruba, so I can't really. I'm gonna to have to translate, and he was, and he said something. He would ask, it'd be a, it's a call and response type song, and it would say, you know, you call yourself a child of God and you're lying. Where did you get that from, type thing? Or who do you, who are you resembling? Who do you look like when you act that way? 
definitely not looking like God. And you see a series of things. And John says here, if you, if you have lovelessness in your heart, or you live in hatred, you live in bitterness and in, 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 in anger, um, you, you cause division, um, you, you live in vengeance. Who, who, who are you reflecting? Not be, not God. Children of God live in love. Um, another reason why, and John's going to explore this more, why John is so con convinced that those who know God will, 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 will live lives of love is that for John, God has revealed his love in the sending of his son, Jesus Christ. And we're going to come to look more at this next week because although it's true that God is eternally love, we could know nothing of God's love if the son didn't reveal him. And the son has revealed him ultimately in accomplishing the mission of the father by coming into the world to die for sinners. And the person who has seen this, the person who has witnessed by faith the death of Christ on the cross and seen the kind of grace and love that has been extended to me and you as sinners, how can that kind of person be loveless? When we've seen the grace of the cross, it constrains us to love. And also God is love. And if we, if we, if we, if we claim to be children of God and we love God, we'll keep his commandments. And one of his commandments is to love. Paul puts it like this in Ephesians 5. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. God is love. And so those of us who claim to be his children, who claim to now have been Born again, we're now his children. We, 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 the nature of God is now our nature in the sense that we have his Holy Spirit making us more like him. Those of us in that situation will have to be people who love. We're, we're, we're going to reflect that. We're going to show that. We're going to display that by walking in love. And so John says, if you don't, love verse 8 you don't know god you don't know who god is you don't have this experiential acquaintance with god where you can say yeah god is living in me god hasn't revealed himself to you god hasn't touched your life god is in isn't in your heart if you don't love there's an interesting thing that comes up here interesting question if it's true that it's god's children who can love so that John says love is from God. What does it mean about what does it mean for unbelievers? Don't unbelievers love too? I think any of us will find it hard to make an argument for, for that to say, well, unbelievers are not capable of loving. I, I, I can understand someone saying unbelievers unbelievers are not capable of loving in this way, and that's true. But but we have to say very often unbelievers are loving and sometimes even more loving than us. <laughs> You know, it would seem because you take the recent response that some of us have seen to the um, to the coronavirus. And I bet there's a few of us who humbly will accept, you know what, people, are, my neighbors who are unbelievers have outdone me. Family friends who are unbelievers have outdone me. You know, people have made all kinds of sacrifices. People have outdone me when it comes to 
acts of love. How is this possible? And I'll say two things in response to that. Firstly is the love that believers show, unbelievers show. And if you're an unbeliever, you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you say, yeah, but I still live in love. That love is an act of what we call, often theologians often call common grace. That is, because men and women are made in the image of God, even though that image is now defaced, it's not what it once was. It's seriously defaced so that eventually it will be destroyed we still bear marks of that image. The image is defaced, but it's not totally, it's not destroyed yet. And if we trust in Jesus Christ, it's redeemed. If not, we, we, we enter into damnation. But that means we can still see, we can see if you want, marks. It's, always, it's like going to uh, the rubble of a, a grand building and someone telling you, listen, this, this, this building stood hundreds of stories tall and it was you know it was a massive building and you know you can't see that building in its glory anymore but the you can see in the rubble in destruction there you can see that this is true here lies you know where once stood a grand grand uh, piece of architecture something like that is what man is today he still shows though that he was made in the image of god in in his in the acts of love that he does in that sense, every act of love continues to find its source in God, even the acts of love by unbelievers, the acts of generosity. So when we see all these displays of generosity, of kindness, of mercy, in light of the virus, for example, we ought to pause and say, here is man revealing that he's still made in the image of God. This is man revealing that there still is a God. However, Is this God a God to me for love or for judgment? The fact that I now show by the way I act that actually there is a God because only God could have made me even possess the, the, the morality, the desire, the demeanor, the disposition to want to do well to others. And I show that I'm made in the image of God is only more reason for me uh, to feel concerned that I haven't been reconciled to this God. There's only more reason for me to question the state of my relationship with God. So unbelievers, first of all, act from a place of common grace. Yes, it, it, this shows that God is alive, but it begs the question, what are you doing with this God? However, John can speak of a love that is unique to believers in verse seven, because it comes from God. And I think here, what we have to say is this, that although unbelievers do show love, that love is now disconnected from its source and life. The source of love is God and in his son, is, is the Lord, is, 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 is the triune God. He's a source of all, all love. But now we've disconnected that love from its source. It's like every good gift that God gives us. God gives us a lot of good gifts, but we can use it for good or we can use it for evil. God gives people voices. They can use that voice to speak good but they can use that voice to speak evil. He gives people great minds. They can use that mind to conceive of good things. They can use it to conceive of evil things. God has given, folk, um, has given men the capacity to love, but that love is now disconnected from the source in his life. That love is decaying. And wherever that love is displayed, it continues to be undergirded by the most terrible display of hatred, which is this, the hatred of God. 
Even our most selfless acts are tainted by this sin, which is the sin of us not honoring the God who gave us the capacity to love, of us continuing to run from this God. And it's enough to render even the most, to ultimately render even the most selfless acts useless. And, and, and I'm not, not only does it affect us vertically, it affects us uh, horizontally as well. So what I'm saying is, even though it's true that people carry out great acts of love and mercy and generosity, the same heart that very often does good to one neighbor does harm to another. And all the evil thoughts that go into, that, that still underline the things we do, the, the selfishness that is always present and even the best acts that we do, the, the longing to be seen and to be praised and doing, doing it just so for, for the approval uh, of others. These are, all, uh, these are all things, all sins that taint our so-called goodness, that show us that our love is not a love that will stand in the day of judgment. Because when between human beings, of course, it looks great. But what, what, when that love stands before the holy God, who the Bible says searches the heart, God searches your heart deeper, not only than anyone else is capable of, than you are capable of. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, on the day of judgment, I don't want to have to answer for myself. On the day of judgment, I don't even want to say I know my heart. It's God who knows. I want to trust rather in the Jesus who justifies sinners. So we have to be very careful. It's true that unbelievers love, but not in this way that John is speaking of, not in the way that honors the Lord, not in the way that is the fruit of the Spirit, not in the way that by the end of this chapter, John wants to say in a way that will be evidence that we are ready for the day of judgment in a way that allows us to be confident because our love, if you want, is soaked in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what the unbeliever does not have. And in that sense, the unbeliever cannot love this way, cannot. So the first implication of God is love is that love is the evidence of being God's child. The second implication is that command. I know it comes before the statement in verse eight, but the command in verse seven, Beloved, let us love one another. Again, this is a command that we're going to uh, explore for the rest of the series. I'll say a few things here and then, I, and then I'll, I'll let you be on your way. Um, but beloved, let us love one another. It's a command that is grounded in love. Brothers and sisters, if we are God's children, the way we must live is by loving each other. Now, it has to be said, that there's a unique way in which this applies only to the Christian community. In fact, quite certainly, John's concern here is for Christians to love other Christians, right? Beloved, let us love one another. Let us love those who belong to our churches. Let us love those who profess to be Christians. We belong to the same family. There's nothing outlandish about that, right? No one expects you to love your blood father no one expects for you to love, say, for example, your um, your bus driver or for you to love your mailman or uh, for you to love a random stranger on the street the same way you love your your, your, your family, your, your blood father, your blood mother, your, your blood brothers and so on. No one expects that and no one thinks that there's anything um, 
unjust about that? Can you see the, ser the, the seriousness of the bond that binds Christians together? That, that, that John can speak this way. We owe familial love to brothers and sisters in Christ. Not just in our church, in our local church, certainly in our local church, but brother and Christians all, all across the globe, as much as, uh, as we can, as, as much as God calls us to. We love those, especially who are of the household of faith. We must live and love one toward another. That doesn't mean, though, that this doesn't apply also to unbelievers. Because the ground for why we should love is that God is love. And our God is a God who loves both the believer and the unbeliever. Not in the same way, but he loves them. He loves the unbeliever enough to continue to bless him with many good things even in this fallen world, even though uh, the unbeliever is in sin. And so in the same way, um, Christians are called to live lives of love, and the love of God is to undergird all of our actions, all of our attitudes towards others, even our enemies. Be controlled by the love of God. Let us love one another. But in the church, let us love one another. And we can fill this in here as far as what that means by, by allowing the Apostle Paul surely to supply us with uh, the meaning and what this looks like. Because Paul tells us that love is patient and kind. Beloved, let us be patient and kind towards each other. Love does not envy or boast. Beloved, let us avoid jealousy and arrogance towards each other. Let us not be rude towards each other. Let us not insist, insist on our own way. Beloved, let us not be easily irritated or uh, resentful, malicious. Uh, beloved, let's not rejoice in what is wrong. Let's rejoice with the truth. Beloved, let us bear all things towards each other. Let us believe all things towards each other, not treat each other with suspicion. Uh, beloved, let us hope all things. Let, let us, let us, let us uh, uh, trust each other. Let us uh, hope that we will get better. Let us give each other second chances. Beloved, beloved, let us endure all things. Let us not keep a record of wrongs. Let us love one another. Uh, is, is that what is defining all your relationships with other believers right now? Is what you must ask yourself. Are my relationships with other believers defined by that sort of um, Pauline description of what love is? Are there, do I have relationships where, no, actually, this is characterized by unforgiveness, this is characterized by rudeness, it's characterized by arrogance, it's characterized by impatience, and we must reject that. How is it in my home? Am I living as a Christian in my home, towards my parents, towards my husband, towards my wife? Beloved, God is love. Let us love one another. Let us, all the implications of my desire to serve you selflessly, let me pursue it because God is love and I've placed my trust in him, place my trust in Jesus who reveals this God. And um, the evidence of that is that I love. I'm going to close just by making two applications. First applications, friends, is again, this statement, God is love. And, um, I want, I want to say, I want to, say to, to those of us who uh, maybe are, are struggling with some of the evil that we see around us, some of us that are struggling with the difficulties, the difficult experiences that we, we face in this, in this current period. And we, 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 
we, um, we, it might move us to question, to, to wonder uh, about God's goodness. And John tells us in no uncertain terms, unequivocally, he's not doubting, he doesn't hesitate. He tells us that God is love. Doesn't matter what we go through, this is who God is. Love is not God. God is love. There are so many people who are experiencing periods of comfort and goodness and providence is smiling on them. They're wealthy, they're healthy, and yet they don't have God. Even the acts of love that we might say are from God in providence are not God. God is love, not even his acts of love. And so, firstly, when we go through trials and when we go through, if you want, when we experience bad things, we can trust. Firstly, those bad things even come from a loving God. They come from the hand of a loving God because he's love. That's all he can do. But when those things don't feel great to us and, they, and, we have to exp- and we do experience evils and trials in this world, remember that God stands over and above those things. His love is not necessarily determined. It's not determined by the providences we face. His love continues. That is why he takes our evil and he uses it for good. God is love. So what, what, what am I saying to you, brothers and Christians, brothers and sisters? When you feel weighed down by whatever trials, challenges you're going through, allow yourself to be cradled by the love of God. If you, if you remember, if you re- just reflect on what God has brought you through, I, I'm sure, Christian, that if you just think of how God has been with you, in your heart of hearts, you will say, I know God is love. You know, the unbeliever will ultimately, he may, he may denounce God because of the evil he sees in the world and find it hard to trust that this God can be good. I can't see how God can be good with all the evil around me. And maybe you as a Christian, you said that in recent days. I can't see how God can be good with all the things I've gone through. But let me say to you, Christian, I know that if you're a Christian, you know this God that dwells in you. You don't judge God merely by the things he's done in providence. You're not judging God merely by external things. He's in you. And when you think of it and you think of his goodness, you know he is good. When you think of how many things he has brought you through, when you think of the previous sorrows that he has held your hand through, how he has been the lifter up of your head, when you think of how he has answered prayer, when you think of how he keeps on forgiving you, a thousand times we fail and still his mercy never changes. When you think of how he has covered your shame, when you think of how he has treated you innocently, when everyone else saw you as guilty, you say, I know this God is love. You know enough of this God to know that even your most difficult providences, your most difficult experiences, your most difficult challenges or sorrows are not enough to make you doubt his love, his goodness. And when you think that come what may, Jesus has died, my sins are washed away. How could I doubt the goodness of God? How could I doubt the love of God? When I've known what John says in the third chapter of his gospel and the 16th verse, 
that God so loved the world that he sent his only son, his only begotten son. And I've known that by his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit bears witness with my spirit and your spirit that Jesus died for my sins. Look at me. I've been set free from sin. I live at peace with God. Uh, All my guilt is washed away. I'm right with God, not because of anything I've done, but because of all that the Son has done. And if you're a Christian, I know that resonates with your heart of hearts. You know this. You believe this. And so fight to know the truth. Fight to believe and let God be your consolation. God is love. And he's loving you right now, even through all that we go through. And I last, lastly, I close just by reminding you, if you don't know this love already, God is love. God is love. And some of us, as you hear me, yes, you've known God's love. You've known his, his goodness. You've known his kindness, his mercy, his many blessings. But you've not known this God himself. And can you not see that for you to reject and resist The God who is love must be for you to show, must be for for you to show that you have sided uh, with hatred. You're siding with hatred. This God is love. How can I reject the God who is love? What is it that I find so dear that makes me reject love? It must be something that that, that is lustful. It must be something that is inappropriate. It must be something that is not beautiful. It must be something that is destructive for me to want to reject God for it. And friends, indeed it is. And the God of the Bible uh, has sent his son into the world to die for sinners like you and me, who for so long had spurned his love, who for so long had seen his goodness and rather chosen evil. But thank God his son came into the world so that you and I will know that even in the midst of our sin, even in the face of our sin, great, great sin, God's love is even greater and his grace abounds. So let me call you this afternoon now, I think I'm sure it's afternoon, to come and trust in the God who is love. And um, this is a love that will never let you go. The only love that can save you in the day of judgment. Come and trust in God's love through Jesus Christ, his son. Amen.